Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com I'm a feminist, but... Right now, I'm at the National Museum of Australia, and I just visited an exhibition I contributed to, making some video content, and there's a big quote from me up on the wall, and a video in which I say, so often the feminine has been reduced to the cosmetic, and I think we can all see from this extraordinary lineup of goddesses that this has nothing to do with how we look, and everything to do with who we are, and how we feel. And as I watched myself say that in the video, I thought, is my mouth crooked? (laughs) When I talked, am I talking like more with one side? Because I always think in pictures, I like my lips. But I just (laughs) realised watching that video that they're quite crooked when they talk. And I've never seen it before, but I became obsessed with it. And I was like, I'm really going to have to video myself more and see... And I don't remember anything else I said. They're not. They're perfect. I talk in there on that video about ancient relics for a good five minutes. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't hear anything else that I said. Because I was looking at myself and going, is that really my neck? (laughs) Is my neck like that now? It was fascinating to watch myself talk about feminism while... Not being cosmetic. and then Not being cosmetic while just staring at my neck and going, is that a new line? (laughs) Do you have an I'm a feminist but? I'm a feminist but I was absolutely determined that when we were together on this stage tonight that I would have read your book cover to cover because I have dipped in and out of it for a few years. 
for a few years. Dipped in and out for a few years. Let me finish. It's not even. I haven't even got to the bad bit. And then I binged on the Last of Us this week. Oh. So you and watched never finished a, it. You watched a video game turned by a man into a television show, into a very violent television show, while dipping in and out of my feminist book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Listen, I hope you enjoyed the zombie show. By the way, my books are available in the foyer, <laughs> and you, if you buy one, I will sign it for you tonight. Will you sign mine? I, I thought you can see all the posty well, notes. The posty no. notes are all there of where. No, of, Cheryl, you fucked it. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Of course, it, it I is. Will. A, it, I mean, really, I it is a riveting sign. read, and it is like a blueprint. Well, oh, for it's a brilliant read. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Dip in and out of it. It was um, my 11-year-old son's fault. Really, nobody wants to hear it. He, the Last of Us. <laughs> Everyone was talking about it. We started watching it, and I was like, I've really got to finish this book. Deborah's going to be here on stage. <laughs> Listen, I understand the zombie show is compelling, but um, <laughs> sorry, no, Big fat no, 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 sorry, Cheryl. I, I absolutely understand. I will. I promise, I will sign your book. I'll sign every page you've read. <laughs> I don't think it's going to take me very long. <laughs> no, it is honestly most of it. Most of it. It's most of it. Anyway, if anyone wants the book tonight, I'll sign it. Um, Steph, uh, I'm a feminist, but uh, I recently did a show that came out and. When it came out, um, I enjoyed it. And then um, I haven't stopped obsessing over what people are saying, but mostly because I'm disappointed that nobody wrote erotic fan fiction about me, but they did about my other co-stars. Did um, they? What? They did it for your co-stars? Yeah. I'm and I'm like, ro- sorry I'm... that I'm not attractive enough to make it into your fan fiction. I... I'm going to write some... I'm going to watch Thank her. Thank you. So yeah. write some I'm going to put family. down The Last of Us and her book. And Thank you. Thank you. Have that you is correct. Class of 07 yet? I've got one more episode to go. Of yeah. your zombie man <laughs> show. I didn't even get through either of them. <laughs> so, you, so you've not watched Steph's show because you're too busy watching the zombie man show. It's this, this Do you know what I call stick, those shows in, in, in my house? Because Tom loves all those shows. My husband watches all those shows. I call, those shows, there's a sort of... I say, I just come in and go, oh, are you watching Punch Face? And Punch Face <laughs> is short for any show like that, because they're all the same to me, any shows with lots of punching <laughs> or shooting. I'm like, I don't want to watch punching and shooting. So, yeah, you basically have been watching Punch Face, and that's why... <laughs> You haven't had time to watch this feminist epic. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't take in any of the, the um, feedback that's about, you know, the, the storyline. I'm like, uh, does anybody want me to get dirty in a fucking apocalypse or not? They don't? Fuck you guys. Yeah, her show's about an apocalypse as well. So you could... But it's about a, school, a girl's school reunion and then an apocalypse happens. Yeah. So that could lure you in. Well, that's a link. That's definitely a link. There's a, a link there. Yeah. You'll be done with the punch face soon, and you can go over to the <laughs> feminist punch face. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, listen. If anyone here in the audience, seriously, I don't know if I've got time to write erotic fan fiction. Thank you. But I yes. know that someone here has got time and wants to. So just give us I'm a looking at you, all of you. If you. Just give us a cheer if you've ever written fan fiction. Yeah. Oh, oh, awesome. What fan fiction have you written? Problematic. <gasps> Tell us more. We oh love my God, it. This wait, is, I'm a feminist, but oh, this is I'm a feminist, but if you if this is a time to confess it, what have you written? Can we get you a microphone quickly? Do you want to just come up and tell us? Here comes Jesse. Okay, microphone's no, no, coming. No, here, 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 here. Thank you very much. 
Okay, I'm a feminist, uh, but I once wrote a fan fiction uh, that was Hermione Snape. I'm into that. I'm into that. Uh, So, Harry Potter fan fiction before I had therapy and realised that Snape is an incel. Um, But yeah, (laughs) therapy is great. I'm into that. I I like that older man. I'm into it. Yeah. (laughs) Cranky older man, young, you know. I mean, Snape was played by Alan Rickman, right? Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. And Alan Rickman was a very attractive man. Definitely. definitely. And the sinister edge... (laughs) Why is it sexy? Please explain. Because I, I know that it is. We've all exper- we all know that it is. And yet, why? Do you know, having the balance in your life of fan fiction and therapy, have you got to the bottom of why an authoritative older man who's not very nice to you can be arousing? Oh, oh I think that's the age-old question. Like, why, why do we like Mr. Darcy? We like all Power these. play. Yeah, all these. <laughs> right? Can I ask, how old were you when you wrote it? Uh, I think I was 17. So, 17. Yeah. Were you no. in it? Was it, you, was it him and somebody or was it him and you? Look, it was I was once very much in love with my high school music teacher, so... Oh, me too! You know. Me too! Yeah. What was his name? Oh. Or her. <laughs> I don't <laughs> assume. Mr. I just Williams. assume because of Mr. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Williams. Mr. Williams. I was in love with Mr. Gilmore. Mm. And I'll tell you what, I talked about it on this show in Australia and then somebody sent into my DMs and said, do you know that somebody at school, she stayed on another year and she uh, dated him. And she, yeah, she made out with him. She, he, they were at the same party or something like that. And I immediately slid into her DMs and went, tell me everything right now. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I'm a feminist, but I am still jealous of my friend who dated my music teacher while she was still at school. And she went, it was all right because I was repeating the year, so I sort of technically had, I was old enough to have graduated. Is that okay? I don't know. No. This audience don't think it was okay. But Again, d- still into it. Is it, okay that, <laughs> is it okay that I'm jealous of her? Yeah, I mean, I it's, got it out of my system by dating my lecturer. You dated your lecturer. Oh my god, this wow. is the best. Wow. Great. This is just confession after confession. I'm loving this. So the music teacher you I'm were in love this. with. Yes. Have you seen him since? No, no. I've seen a picture of mine. He's a bald old man. It's very disappointing. <laughs> and nothing wrong with being bald. Nothing wrong with being bald. I could be very attracted to a bald man, but I remember him as a man with very floppy Hugh Grant hair. Mm-hmm. And so the baldness is a disappointment because it doesn't live up to the fantasy. So, but if you're bald now and I'm meeting you for the first time, I'll think you're hot. Like, don't... <laughs> this is not me having a go at baldness. It's me having a go at time passing. <laughs> I resent time passing. I resent change. I resent ageing. Even though I know ageing is beautiful, I don't want people I had crushes on to have aged, even though I have. This is really similar to listening to people with white guilt. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've got both. <laughs> don't ever assume I don't have white guilt. I'm a white person, Steph. I'm a white person who's thought about things. Good, thank you yeah. for that. Therefore, yeah, you're white and guilt. That's normal, mm. I think. But we and we do have to be that careful, right? Because 
we, we can all see what the intention is when we're looking at you on stage. But in a podcast, somebody will go, she hates bald people. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, so I get it. I get it. But sucks, hey? Oh, what, that I have to clarify? That you have to go so... In, like, I am so... I'm okay with ageing. You have to include bald yeah. people. I have to include bald people because I don't want a bald man that's listening to this and learning about feminism mm-hmm. and going, you know what? I'm coming right on board to go, no, I'm out. Like, yeah. I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want that. So, you know, I've just trained myself over the years. But the thing is, I've learned how to make my discomfort funny. Yes. So Because it's boring if you go... Oh, but just to say, hashtag not all bald men. You know, like, yes. it's, that's very dull. But if I find a way of making it funny, then I feel better about yes. it. Is, are there any bald men in? Just give us a cheer. Okay, well, we can see now. you if you're here. Do you know what I mean? No. Like, Listen, what I've learned from that is, statistically speaking, no bald men are feminists, so fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a feminist, but um, I love watching those compilations of um, people doing really toxic shit to each other. Like, women... I watched one this morning and I was like, oh, my God. Like, I I reverted back to a teenage girl. It was, like, um, somebody who secretly filmed her best friend being toxic and saying to her, can you not try and upstage me in every photo? She's like, why, what am I doing? She's like, you know that you look hotter than me today. And I was like, this is the best, but I know that it's bad. Do you know what I'm... Like, I know it's bad. I'm a feminist, but I really want to see this video. Oh, my God. Thank you yeah. so much. It's so good. It's all I do with my time is I just watch... And also, I watch um, uh, Bridezilla videos. Bridezilla videos, Bridezilla, do you? Yeah, I'm into it. I love, I'm a feminist, I love... but I wish I'd been more of a Bridezilla. Oh, really? I mean, I'll tell you what, I wasn't at all, and it's because I think some people... Um, their wedding is their one special day. Mm. And I think if you're a performer, you get loads of special days. We do, yeah. And I feel like you just don't... Like, I found that my wedding a bit uncomfortable that it was all about me, to be honest. Because a yeah. show isn't really about you. It's about mm. the audience. Yeah. Like, the whole thing about a show is it's like, how can we change the audience and give them a good time or bring them in or that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And so if I'm wearing sequins up here, which I, ha- I happen to be... <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm wearing ridiculous fringe sequins. It's a very ethical company. It's called State of Disarray. It's all very feminist and everything. Um, but if I'm wearing sequins, it's not really about me. It's about entertaining you. But the wedding is just about, I'm in a ridiculous dress. For me. Like, that's embarrassing. It's like, I deliberately bought a ball gown, and I'm the only one wearing a ball gown. <laughs> has come in just a nice normal dress but not me I look like I'm in a regency drama I look like I think I'm in Pride and Prejudice when I'm not and I'm the only one that's turned up like this like I just really wish when I look back that I'd made everyone come in a ball gown I love that because I wanted to wear a proper wedding dress because it's the one time you get to Yeah. but I just thought this is ridiculous like (laughs) and also it was like the, when you go into the, you know, wherever you're getting married and, you know, you can't see the congregation or the audience or the, I don't know, the gathering until you get there. And then, because you're, you know, you're not meant to give away the dress because you, you don't want people to see the ball gown until the very last second. <laughs> so I got there and everyone turned around to see me because I was the bride and I knew every single person in the audience and that for a performer is terrifying yes it was like a nightmare 
It was like a genuine nightmare. I went, I know all of you well. Yeah, and yeah. I just like, imagine if I knew everyone here. Like, how sad would that be? That only people who knew me had turned up. Like, that would be sad. Like, I love it if a friend is in or a group of friends are in. That's wonderful. But if I knew all of you, I'd feel it was like a pity party. Be like, oh, we'd better go because no one else will go. Right? That's how I felt about my wedding. It felt like people felt sorry for me because they knew I was going to be there in a ball gown and if they didn't show up, how ridiculous would, it, would I look then? This is the most fucked up take on a wedding, wedding I've ever the heard. the pity party. The wedding has just become the pity yeah. party. But you, you're actually right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved it in other ways, but if I had my wedding again, I'd make it about someone else. Oh, I could yeah. have made it about my husband, Bald I suppose. Pity. I didn't think of that. <laughs> That didn't even occur to me because it was less. I think it's more the wedding's more for me and my friends than it was for Tom. Yeah, you know, yeah, fair enough. Tom, if you're listening to this and you are because you're editing it, I'm not sorry. <laughs> Live from the National Museum of Australia in Canberra, the you so much. Welcome to an evening with me. An intimate evening with me. I once went to an intimate evening with Michelle Obama. I swear that was the title. An intimate evening with Michelle Obama. It was in a stadium. It was in the O2 stadium, like a football stadium. Um, and it, but it felt intimate. You know, she made it feel cosy. And uh, similarly here, we have an intimate evening with these booming ceilings. And so it's this is, this is an amazing ceiling for a museum, isn't it? You come in and you just... It just... It, it, it's, look, it dwarfs that dinosaur, this ceiling. That dinosaur looks not even threatening. Like, not a chihuahua exactly, but like a Labrador as to these ceilings. But it is giving us a lovely boom, which apparently you won't be able to hear on the podcast. It, everything that happens here is being recorded, just so you know. Um, if you say anything... Um, and you'd like it edited out, then just say, I don't want to be on the podcast. Not that you'll... I'm not going to just start pulling people up and saying, say something. Uh, But you might say something, uh, because some of you may have seen this exhibition. Who's seen the exhibition, Fid and Revere? Just give us a cheer. No one can hear a hand on a podcast. No one can hear a hand. Give us a cheer if you've seen it already. Loads of you have already come to see it. And is that why you've come out to this night? No, just because not much happens in Canberra? What? What's the... <laughs> Karaoke's closed. <laughs> tell me. Tell me, tell me what, what brought you out. It came to see me. Stop it. Um, <laughs> don't tell me. Don't say that. Don't say that. Um, I actually love Canberra. I find it such a wonderful place to play. I will say um, it's... Every time I've played Canberra, the theatre here in Canberra, I, I found it, uh, the audience, to be full of high achievers. It's like class captains from all over Australia congregate here. <laughs> School captains, vice captains, and then you all come here to compete to see who, who's the cleverest and most competent. And it's a close-run thing. Um, I, am, I am so thrilled you've come out tonight because I, you know, I contributed to this exhibition when it was at the British Museum. It was born at the British Museum, and they asked me and some other incredible women, Mary Beard, Elizabeth Day, uh, Bonnie Greer, to contribute 
by coming in, I got to look at the artifacts. I was allowed to touch things that were like thousands of years old. I had to wear special gloves, but still, they were like, yeah, you can look at it, you can hold it, you can see it up close. I hope I'm allowed to say that. I hope, hope they were allowed to let me touch it. Anyway, too late. I didn't lick anything. Now, this exhibition, I had to talk about ISIS. There's a video in there of me um, in a red dress uh, talking about ISIS that you can watch. You might have already seen it. I'm talking about ISIS. So just to contextualize, this exhibition at the British Museum, when I contributed to it, it was called uh, Feminine Power from the Divine to the Demonic. Here, it is called Feared and Revered, Feminine Power Through the Ages. And when I said to Cheryl, our incredible guest uh, from this museum, why was the name changed? And she said, because we focus grouped it. And in Australia, Feminine Power sounded like a feminine hygiene product. (laughs) So we'll ask Cheryl to unpack that a little bit more. But apparently... You heard feminine power. And in your head, you saw women on the beach in white trousers, (laughs) leaping into the air with a frisbee, like we all do on our periods. I never more want to leap around on the beach in a white pair of jeans than when I'm on my first day of my period. I'm like, oh, can we do the leaping? (laughs) Why is it always like a horse riding and stuff that they show in those ads? Nobody's ever done that. Nobody's in the history of the world no woman on her period has put on a pair of white linen trousers and said, can we exercise vigorously in public? It's not happened. The most we've ever done, the most, this is a fact, this is an historical fact, the most a woman's ever done on her period. Uh, or another kind of person who has a period uh, is a little like yoga alone at home. Now, that's factual. Factual, it's not. They're Olympic athletes and they win gold medals on their period. I'm talking about myself and everybody here. Um, of course there are people that are better than us but they're not here tonight Uh, just give us give us a cheer if you are such a woman slash uh, if you are such a woman or a person who gets a period who might put on white linen trousers and want to do public exercise just give us a cheer not one not one who goes to the gym early in their period give us a cheer yeah there are three people now if you're If you're listening at home tonight, there are 4,000 people in this auditorium. (laughs) And only three human beings here have said that they would go to the gym on their period. The rest of us are like, no, it's a free day, it's a pass. Uh, It's a week off. It's a week off a year. It's a week off a month, sorry. A week off a month. It's a week off a month, as it is rightly, it's rightly so. Now, can I, can I ask... um, did anyone see the videos in the room next to it? Yes? Just again, nodding on the podcast won't cut it. Give us a cheer if you've watched the videos. Yes, great. Some of you, more of you have watched the video. Not as many of you have watched the videos as I'd have liked, given I went to all the trouble of making one. But, but more of you have watched the video of uh, me and other women talking about the exhibition than go to the gym on your period. So that's of interest. I talked about Isis, who's one of the goddesses in there. Isis was the Egyptian goddess. Um, She was the sister and the wife of the god Osiris. We've got questions, haven't we? (laughs) 
sister and the wife, ruler of the underworld. So she was the sister and the wife of the ruler of the underworld. It's said that she and Osiris were in love with each other even in the womb. Um, so they were twins. <laughs> Steph Tisdall's found that particularly hilarious. <laughs> you were just imagining falling in love with your brother in the womb. It's very Game of Thrones, isn't it? Isis was the mother of Horus, the protector of the pharaoh. Um, and, I mean, poor Horus, he's going to have some therapy bills, isn't he? Isis was also known for her magical power, which enabled her to revive Osiris and to protect and heal Horus, and for her cunning. That sounds judgy, doesn't it? That sounds like, that sounds like a man's written that. That's, there's very much a context that someone who dated her, and I think there's only one man who dated her, and that was her twin brother, because they, they, they were married in utero, by the sound, went, she's very cunning, she's passive-aggressive. I mean, you would be too. To be fair, that would be quite a passive-aggressive relationship, wouldn't it? Can you imagine? Because think about how passive-aggressive you are with your sibling. Now, think about how passive-aggressive you are with your partner. Put those two people into one person and stick them in a womb with a view. Bloody hell. What a relationship. Some serious therapy bills. Um, there are some incredible demonic and divine women in there. Uh, some incredible feared and revered women and also gods and iconic figures who were gender fluid, absolutely extraordinary things. Uh, can I ask you, historically, I'm interested in the history of you now, if we're going to go ancient history, does anyone have a story about, I, guess, I suppose, their internal human feared and revered uh, instincts of when you first became aware of injustice like it could be gender injustice because this is a feminist exhibition but it could be another sort of injustice that sort of kick-started the whole thing for you when does, does anyone have any childhood memories or young memories as a young woman of going that's not fair or a young person of going that's not fair does anyone have a childhood memory of when they became a feminist has anyone got one yes okay i'm gonna come down what's your name i'm kathy Kathy, welcome, Kathy. Hello. Thank you for coming. And do you have this? So I'm interested because all of this it's very archaic, it's very ancient, but it's also very human. Like everything old, it's really about a deep, deep humanity. So what inside you inspired you to understand that women should be feared and revered? You're making it sound much more intense than what it really is. But anyway, no, um, no, it's the guilty I'll, feminist. We will take any accessible entry point. Um, I'm one, I'm one of um, five kids and three boys and two girls. And the three boys all went to Cubs and Scouts and what have you. And back in those days, the girls went to Brownies. And I don't know if anyone here did that, but Cubs went off and they went, you know, climbing and camping and all that sort of stuff. And all that Brownies got to do was dance around this mirror in the hall. In, in the hall. We weren't allowed to go camping until we got... Dance like, around a mirror in the hall? Are you yeah, sure that was that Brownies? Was it, you know, go, sort of like the dib, 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 dub, dub, dub. Dib, 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 dub, 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 dancing yeah, on a mirror. Yeah, it was just so lame. And I just, I went home and I just said to mum and dad, that's it, not doing brownies anymore I'm going to be a cub <gasps> and, were the, and were you allowed to be a cub yes applaud applaud yeah <laughs> were you allowed to be a cub and go no. out into the wilderness no, no. they this just is, said this no this is Wagga in the 1970s okay I'm so sorry we, the, and you've probably looked at some of the archaic artefacts in there none of them reflect 
the, frankly, ancient traditions of Wagga in the 1970s. <laughs> there is... There is nothing more archaic than Wagga in the 1970s. There are artefacts in there that are 4,000 years old, and still, the women led more progressive lives 4,000 years ago than anyone in Wagga in the... In the yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think she's mocking me. No, I'm not mocking you. You survived Wagga in the 1970s. You deserve to be feared and revered. You're the last person I'm mocking. Um, I was raised in Queensland. I feel your pain. I went to Girls' Brigade, which is like girl guides, only with added God. And so instead of badges for, like, I don't know, um, tents and tying knots and things like that, we got badges for praying and self-flagellation. It was a, it was a different time. Um, but, uh, but I know it was a different time because I recently had an, a message from somebody, because I've talked about Girls' Brigade before on the show, and I have a message from somebody saying, just to let you know, uh, Girls' Brigade is really good now and we've updated it. And, like, she was just said, I, I lead a Girls' Brigade, I don't know what they call them, squad, team, huddle. Um, and she said it's, it's really good now. So maybe, I, I'm hoping that the Brownies and the Girls' Brigade have updated and it's not as bad, even in Wagga. But when you go back, could you re- please report back? Email us at guiltyfeminist.gmail.com. But those moments are real, aren't they? I had an incredible story at a convention uh, about a woman who uh, was, by this point, running the diversity and inclusion program for LinkedIn. And she told us a story about how she, she was a little girl, she's American. She used to play baseball in the street with her brothers and their friends. And she wanted to try out for Little League. So she went to try out. And she was a little girl who had quite you know, masculine gender expression. She, she used to wear a baseball cap, have short hair, you know. She loved running around playing sports. And so she tried out and got accepted. She's very happy. This was the 70s too. And then when she, she, her name was called out and she was accepted and then she came forward and the coach went, oh, you're a girl. And she said, yeah. And he went, no, no, no girls. No girls, sorry, you're out. And her sister, she said it was her older sister, her sister was like I think four years older, just stepped forward and said, why? You picked her, you can't unpick her. And he said, because Little League is for boys. And she said, show me where in the rules. And so they got the rule book and they had forgotten to put no girls because it just seemed obvious, like, seemed obvious to them, like no zebras need apply. Like, why would they bother to write that? And so, and if he had, if he'd known she was a girl, he just wouldn't have picked her. But he couldn't say, "Oh, she wasn't good enough," because he'd already picked her. But she talked about the difference between inclusion and belonging. She said, "From that day forward, I was included. I was on the team. But the boys hated that I was there. They were embarrassed by me. They used to hide my mitt. They'd all go off for pizza without me after the game." And then she said, "And one day, um, she." did something in baseball that meant they were losing and then because of her they were winning. She did caught something or threw something or hit something. I don't know. She ran fast. I don't know the details. However, uh, the upshot of whatever she hit or ran from um, meant that they won unexpectedly and that day they lifted her up on their shoulders and carried her out and she got invited to pizza. And from then on, she belonged and that was the difference between being included and belonging. And those things are so, so, so different. And the exhibition, I think, shows us the ways in which women have been included 
and, and the ways in which women have belonged throughout the ages. And those things are different. And look for those things in there. When women have been exceptionalized, when women have been, you know, in some ways, fearing and revering is dehumanizing. You know, like looking at those things of what, your, what, what the power is, but then also where women have been centered. Um, anybody else got a story they'd like to tell us about when they first understood their feminism? Yes, we've got someone up there, up the back. So, um, I'm here with my mum, and I remember when I was little... What's, what's like your maybe, name? Oh, Go-Go. Like, Go-Go, what a great name. Thanks. Short for Indigo. Birthday present from my mum. Um, <laughs> um, when I was little, maybe seven, mum's friend's a designer, and he had, like, a, an iPad, and he was drawing me and my brother... Oh, he drew my brother on the iPad as a prince. And I was really like, I was like, oh, that's so cool. Oh, sorry, I'm so nervous. I'm not a good public speaker. Um, You're doing great. Go, go. (laughs) Go, 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 go. (laughs) And uh, so he drew my brother as a prince. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I want the same thing if that's okay. And he started drawing me as a princess. And I was like, no, no, I want, oh, it was like a knight. Um, And he was like, no, no, you have to be a princess. And I was like, Why? And he was like, you just have to be a princess. You can't be a knight, like on a horse with a sword or whatever. And I was really upset. And I was like, oh, well, that sucks. And I always remembered and I was always angry. (laughs) And you found your way here tonight. (laughs) Sometimes it's those experiences that ignite our fight. Like you need to have a personal experience to understand the impact in the wider world. Um, And I think those experiences can be really seminal. So what I'm saying is that man did you a huge favor. But also, but also, you were a child and someone was drawing you on an iPad. You must be very young. <laughs> it's, it would be nice to think that things had shifted from Wagga in the 70s, but it turns out, no. Um, Jude? Yes. Can we have a microphone up here? Um, so mine is 70s, but in a little place called Kurawatha. So, hands up who any, if anybody's ever heard of Cruel Just give us, a, give us a cheer if you've ever heard of it. There was <laughs> literally one person who's heard That person who wooed, have you been there? No. Okay. <laughs> so, one person's heard of it, no one's been but you, Jude. Yeah. Gather round, children. Tell no, us I'm more. Really, I'm really sad now. Um, so, I think the first time I grew up in a foster family in Cruel and I, um, I had three older brothers and two older sisters, so we were like the um, Brady Bunch. Um, and I first realised, because my dad was a farmer, and he saved up to send my older brother to King's School in Sydney, my two younger brothers to um, Hurlston Agricultural College, and my sisters and I were told we just go to Cowra High School because we are, we're only going to grow up to be either nurses or teachers. I'm so sorry, and that feels so tragic. And at the same time, I hear that so strongly because my mother um, was told, she was like, we had all these books on the shelf when I was a kid that was like, from my mum, which was like first prize in biology, first prize in English. You know, you'd win a book at the end of the, first prize in maths, first, she was first prize in Latin, first prize in everything. And she was made to leave school before year 12 and wasn't allowed to go to uni because her parents said, well, girls only get married, there's no point educating you. And it's so... And she wanted to go to art school and she wasn't allowed. She wanted to become a journalist, she wasn't allowed. And she had to go the route that they'd set for her. And it really, really breaks my heart. But 
my mother found a way and she learned to paint when we were children and became an artist and sold her paintings all my childhood. Like we would go off to exhibitions and she'd win prizes and she sold everything. Um, so, you know, I just think women find a way. And Jude, what way did you find? I went off to acting school. And did the fact that you were told you were limited in your future, was it one of the things that ignited you to say, that won't be the way for me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and plus, weirdly, my dad really supported me going to acting school and picked the piece for my audition to go into drama school, which was Quality of Mercy. Um, Would you like to do a bit of that for us no. now? Quality of mercy have is mercy. not strained, but falls from the very heavens as night and a day or something like that. It's something like that. Someone must know it. This is a as very educated rain. room. What was that? As the what? <sighs> gentle rain. There's no better way to get someone to do something than to do it badly in front of them. <laughs> Scott, I can't remember. Was it something? It was like to suffer the very sar- arrows of slings and outrageous fortune. Um, uh, something to do with that. Uh, have you had, are you having the life that you dreamed? I don't, yeah. No, I'm having a life that is wonderful. Then that's all that yeah. matters. That's all that matters. Um, it's really nice sometimes just to sit in something that's warm and truthful and not joke. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes I just feel like you, you, you change your gear and you need to be in that space. And Jude, I really want to thank you for sharing that with us because it's really important for young women to remember how limited women who are just a generation or two older have been and how many boundaries they broke so that you have been told you can do anything you want or not if not anything, many things that you want, many more things than the previous generation. And we always, we're always standing on the shoulders of giants. We must never forget it. Anybody got one quick last one? Anything? Yes? First of all, tell us what your T-shirt says. Um, me and my bestie here, we are wearing T-shirts that say, I incite this meeting to rebellion by Emmeline Pankhurst. <laughs> Consider it incited. Did I see on your jeans before you've got something on your jeans? Yes, I do. Show us. Um, it says I'm a feminist but <laughs> have you bedazzled your own jeans with I'm a feminist but I sure did I'm loving I sure did. I'm seriously loving your work thank you and I will say that's unauthorised merch um, <laughs> go on tell us, your, tell us your feminist ignition story um, I, I feel very fortunate that I grew up with an amazing feminist who is my mother, Lorraine, and uh, I always call her the original feminist in my life. And I'm very grateful for that. And she always taught me and my sister, you can be anything or whatever you want to be, um, to the point where she never wanted to buy us Barbies because she felt that they were an unrealistic uh, ideal of uh, feminine beauty. (laughs) She only did it under duress once and my sister got one, so therefore I had to get one. Um, My mother made us get Cindy's because uh, Cindy was somehow more wholesome. (laughs) Well, she was always grateful that we didn't grow up with Bratz dolls, so... Um, 
But I always remember her saying, um, so she and my dad got married early 70s and shortly after they got married, she was applying for jobs in teaching and um, they said, no, you're going to have babies. So she basically got refused jobs and it was three years after they got married when they had my, my brother, who's the oldest, and I always remember mum saying that and mum always reminding me of what I do have and what I was born into, which was the right to vote and the right to anti-discrimination when it comes to applying for certain jobs. And so I'm just always really grateful for that. So I, I feel very grateful that I was shown a beautiful example my whole life. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. What an important reminder that it doesn't have to be oppression that can lead us to a fight for equality. It can be a parent or a friend or a grown-up in your life saying, look what you've got and look what, you, look what is yet to fight for. And it's really great. It doesn't have to be a man on an iPad going, you can be a princess. As I said to Gogo, I did say to Gogo, you know, it, sometimes those things are the things that stick with us and make us. But also, you know what? You don't have to be a parent to be the person who says, you know, look what you've got. I always think of that story about Maya Angelou, that she'd had such a traumatic experience, she didn't speak. She just wasn't speaking as a child. And there was a local uh, woman who just drove her to the library and got her a library card and just said, you don't need to speak, read these books. Everyone else was like punishing her for not speaking or trying to get her to speak. And this woman said, you don't have to speak, read and read these books. And she says it was because she'd read every book in the library that she became this great writer because she had so much to say. If you read her memoirs, they're just the most incredible books. If a white man had written them, they would be seen as like Hemingway. Like it's just, it's just absolutely, they're incredible. Most people have read I Know Where the Cage Bird Sings, but like read on, they're all incredible. And I often think not all of us can be Maya Angelou, but we can all be the woman who drove it to the library. That's what you have to remember. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Here's a quick taste on what's coming up on this week's Media Storm. Crisis comes, crisis. 
then we decided to start the EDL. I watched him start marching and singing racial slurs. It was calculated evil in what they did, but yet the mass majority of people still don't take them seriously. Radical ideas that I've been looking at for the last seven years, I've seen them enter the mainstream. This person is going to imminently carry out a terrorist attack. Welcome to Media Storm, the news podcast that starts with the people who are normally asked last. This week's investigation. Radical thinking. How to fight the far right. Hi, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah. We've got some shows coming up at Soho Theatre on the 30th of May and the 31st of May. Co-hosts and guests include Chloe Petz, Laura Lex, Sarah Keyworth and sketch group Egg. We're also at King's Place on the 5th of June, the 22nd of June and the 24th of July. Co-hosts and guests to be announced. For tickets, go to guiltyfeminist.com and click on live shows. My play, Never Have I Ever, is at Chichester Festival Theatre on the 1st of September and tickets are on sale now, going fast. Go to cft.org.uk and look for Never Have I Ever. And on the 21st of August, there'll be a special episode of the Guilty Feminist podcast there, live from Chichester. Also, you can join our Patreon to get ad-free episodes and to support the show. Please go to Apple Podcasts and review us. You can review any episode that you liked. If you've reviewed us before, you can review us again, but please give us five stars. It helps other people find the podcast. Or you could tell someone you know who might enjoy the show on a WhatsApp or with your face. And now, back to the podcast. I have a very special guest to introduce you to. She is in a fantastic show at the moment called Class of 07, but here she is right in the flesh. She could touch you or lick you if you let her. Put your hands together and make incredible woo noises for the wonderful Steph Tissel. Um, we also now have to introduce our very special guest. Our guest today is Cheryl Crilly. Cheryl is a senior curator at the National Museum of Australia and is responsible for creative content and collection development across a range of projects and programs. She has a particular interest in migration, fashion and textile histories and stories and objects that amplify the influence of women in Australian society and culture. She is the lead curator for the exhibition called Feared and Revered, Feminine Power Through the Ages. Nothing to do with feminine hygiene products. (laughs) Too much. Too much. Sounds sarcastic. I'm so sorry I told you that. In confidence. You... I didn't know it was in confidence. I didn't, really. I didn't know I couldn't lick things. We're getting to that one. Um, a partnership exhibition with the British Museum. Please welcome uh, Cheryl Crilly. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all for coming tonight. It's lovely to see so many people. And it is, how awesome is it to have these two wonderful women on stage? Feminine power right here, I might add. Both of you. So, Cheryl, I first came across this exhibition when uh, I was asked to be part of its uh, curation. I was asked to come in and look at artefacts, and I was asked to... Did you lick them? I didn't lick any of them. Okay, just checking. And don't. And the audience at home will be wondering why you would ask such a weird question, because... (laughs) All the content about Oh, that no, no, we get that all the time. Oh, do you? Yeah, do you get ac- we, actually, we actually get asked that sort of thing all the time. Do you? Have you smelt it? Have you licked it? Have you touched it? Did you put <laughs> it on? Oh, yeah. So, well, listen. Completely in context. What, what, 
was it about this exhibition that made you want it and be excited about it here? Because it's a British Museum exhibition, and what made you think we would like to display all those artefacts and have this incredible exhibition here? I mean, the British Museum is really very well known for stealing stuff from other countries. I didn't know it sent stuff out as well. Um, what, made you, what made you want it? Well, look, we have uh, a strong partnership with the British Museum and we've done a number of exhibitions with, with them and this is the fifth one. And this time around it was a bit different, you know, um, for me. I worked on, and perhaps some of our audience here tonight would have seen the Ancient Greeks exhibition. Mm-hmm. You know, beautiful, iconic collection. But it didn't quite inspire me. And I worked on that show for a little while. It was fantastic. But it didn't quite inspire me the way this show does. And I guess it's just about, you know, redressing the imbalance in a way. Um, Because the Greek show was very male-heavy. It was. And and ancient Greek culture is very male-heavy, very masculine-focused for sure. But it goes... It goes broader than that, you know. Uh, it, it's no secret that our our histories generally are, you know, favour male pioneers, male writers, male experience. So to have an exhibition that, in some ways, is quite timely with mm. what's going on in cultural society today, and and you know to have, and I don't know people, lots of people here it seems haven't actually seen the show. Shame on you, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Listen, a lot of them have dipped in and out. They've dipped in and out. <laughs> um, honestly. So you might be wondering, what the hell is this all about? What, so, so what can you sum up if, if you had to tell 25 someone, words or less or something like that. Yeah, is that well, what you're, you're asking? In a, you're in an elevator with someone. Yeah, listen. You've got to the fourth this floor. This is actually a real question. Yeah. What is this exhibition about? What, what might people see if they came to it? Well, I would say the kind of tagline, which is this exhibition looks at representations of, from, from ancient culture to the current day, goddesses, witches, demons, spirits and saints, and the impact that those female, feminine, spiritual beings have had on culture and society and continue to have to this day in terms of the provocations that I hear from audiences every day who visit the show. So I was really excited to work on a show that put female power and feminine characteristics so- at its centre. But obviously the language, the language around things is always mm. very interesting. Like I know that this is kind of unrelated, but even when you think about like Hurricane Katrina, you know, like when, when we give things a, a, you know, titles matter mm. and stuff like that, right? It's Words true. Matter. Cyclones are always female names. They are, aren't they? What, and what also men are fucking terrified of women. I can't believe we don't talk about that more often, right? Like I know, like I'm scared of men. But then, like, my dad goes, oh, I don't want to... Your your mum, a bit scared. You know, like, dad is terrified of my mum. Oh, my God. A man in my audience the other day, I was just chatting to a man who was, like, in the second row. Yeah. And he was like, oh, he clearly didn't want to talk to me. So I sort of said, look, you know, if you don't want to talk to me, it's fine. Like, I was just doing a bit of fun, Mm -hmm. a bit of play. And I was just about to back off, and he said, oh, no, I'm scared of you. And I was like, like, it was an old white guy, and I just went... In fairness, though, statistically speaking, which one of us is more likely to be a serial killer? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a good question, isn't it? Don't you think? What that's did a... he say? Um, he said very little. Um, he... he said, but meet I... me outside, I've got some ropes in the car. Oh, no! <laughs> I assume he's written a great quantity of fan fiction about me since, but... <laughs> it is an interesting thing, isn't it, when men yeah. go, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm scared, yeah. I'm scared. But I think 
they're scared of our moods, whereas we tend to be scared that they're going to kill us. And exactly. that's And it's a very different kind of fear. It certainly is. And it's so, a really different fear and a really different yeah, impact. And, absolutely. You know. And so I wonder, the name Feared and Revered Feminine Power Through the Ages, how did you come to that <sighs> title? You just sitting well, in a I room know, going. I mean, I have revealed the feminine hygiene product. Yeah, and, and look, that's—it is no lie. We did do some audience testing, and it was very fascinating to me to see the sort of cultural differences at play. Because when we spoke to our British Museum colleagues about this, because the show was called "Feminine Power: From the Divine to the Demonic" in London, we said, "Oh, it just doesn't hasn't really gone down that well." The feminine power bit here. And they were like, oh, it's because feminine, you know, we, 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 we're trying to kind of move beyond those stereotypical ideas of the feminine, the prissy, the lighthearted, the soft. We're like, no, that wasn't it. <laughs> People genuinely said, what? It sounds like a female hygiene product. And when we said <laughs> this, they, they were shocked. And I thought that, I think there is a sort of kind of vernacular difference there, something going on. Um, but exhibitions are never easy to name. It's like naming your child, really, in a way. Um, and I think this show, interestingly, not just for here, us at the National Museum, but also the British Museum, um, and I hope they don't kill me for saying this, but, you know, it, I think it holds the record for the, the most discussion and the longest time frame to come up with both titles, let alone just one, two wow. titles. Yeah. And I sat in meeting after meeting, um, and I can see my colleague, Vicky Northey, here in the front row, who's the exhibitions manager on Feed and Revere, and I have to acknowledge her, because she sat with me every step of the way through these meetings. We just, it was unbelievable for several years, actually. And I thought, wow, if this is the kind of discussion that is being provoked at just the frickin' title, imagine what people might think about in the show itself. So we landed on Feared and Revered. I think it's a great name, by the way. Well, it kind of looks at the duality. Absolutely. And it of doesn't feminine it, characteristics. It kind of doesn't necessarily immediately bring up those thoughts of, oh, this is an exhibition about women until you read The Feminine Power Through the Ages. Um, but as soon as you think of that, that's actually perfect because it, it almost does kind of um, outline sort of women's place in society for a long time it's that you never you know you never fuck with your your nonna right you know what I mean it's from that and then it's also like oh my god what an inspiring story because it's a woman doing something that a man's done before you know like we have this sort of overvaluing undervaluing overfit do do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and I think it really touches on those elements of what it means to be a woman in society as well yeah what are some of your favorite pieces from oh, the collection? It's the bloody hardest question for a curator, but and because we're quite fickle, we have a different favourite every week, but I mean, I really am quite taken by the oldest objects in the show, which are marble figures, three marble figures from the Cyclades in Greece, and these early feminine forms with their sort of moulded breasts and their incised pubic areas, and they're quite mysterious bit of an enigma about them. We don't quite know what they meant and what they were used for, but thousands of them were found. Thousands? Thousands of them were found and they're all well, predominantly female and 
they that don't have feet, or the feet have been broken off, which means they can't stand supported, which is interesting. A bit so, like Barbie. Bit or Cindy. I had Cindy. Mm-hmm. I heard you talk about Cindy. I was like, oh. yeah. I'm a feminist, but yes. I'm actually going to go and find Cindy at home tonight, just as a side to thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> see if she's more wholesome. My mother anyway. thought she was more wholesome, um, genuinely. So, yeah, but, the, yeah. The, but these, where Sorry. were they found, these relics? Well, they were found in various places. So you either found them in sort of settlement sites or in tombs, which, you know, grave sites, which, you know, that idea that they're kind of carried on the living or buried with the dead. And they're these beautiful minimalist forms, you know, the anatomy is, is very um, simplified and, and have inspired contemporary artists like, you know, men, Picasso, Medigliani, Barbara Hepworth, you know, all have drawn from these, these sculptural forms. And they're about four, four nearly 5,000 years old, there's three of them in the show, and, and they set the sort of tone from the beginning. And then my other favourite is the most recent work in the show, which is a magnificent icon of the Hindu goddess Kali. And we've had lots of audience engagement with Kali. We've had, you know, Hindu nuns come and sing their song to her. We've had visitors leave flowers on the plinth in front of her because... You know, the Hindu population obviously is, is, is widespread in Australian society and, and Kali's this kind of force to be reckoned with and really sums up that feared and revered aspect, mm. that duality, because here she is, dark, ferocious, terrifying, looking with this kind of lay of skulls around her neck and severed hands around her waist. And you think, oh, my God, what's that about? Um, and, in fact, they're not kind of trophies of, of you know, murdered humanity they're actually her combat against the ego and the sense of self and self-centeredness um so and that particular icon in the exhibition was commissioned for this exhibition by a western bengali artist koshik gosh who and the british museum commissioned him to make it he makes these icons for for temples and for hindu festivals um, it's, but a mo- it's the most striking sculpture. It's standing on her husband, Shiva. He doesn't seem to mind, though, actually. He looks quite comfortable with it, I have to say. Um, <laughs> she's, you know, wielding the sword with the blood dripping. And, but it's interesting that, you know, that, that particular work, word of mouth, has, um, has gone out and people have come to see her and to be with wow. her. And, and these... And I guess that makes a point. One of the things I loved about this show is that it's not actually all about antiquities. You know, it melds the historic and the contemporary. And there are living cultures mm. present in the show that are strong. And, Steph, was there anything that you saw in there that made this exhibition more Australian? Because, yeah. you know, when it came here, it had to be adapted for Australia and you had Australian uh, mm. Indigenous history had to be included. Was there anything that struck you? I just, I just quickly, I just wanted to, to quickly ask you one thing before I get to that. I was just taking a note there before. With those statues that you were talking about, the, mm. the marble one, sorry, I just didn't want to forget. Cause I was yeah, yeah. No, go for it. Do you think do, do you have a feeling whether they were made by men or by women? We simply don't know. And, yeah. you know, it's a lot of the artworks and the relics and the statues within the show we think were made by men. Some we, we simply don't know. Mm. Um, 
I like to think they were made by women. Because it, it feels like it yeah. changes the story, doesn't it? I held one. I didn't lick it, but I held one. Yes. Gloves were on. Wow. Gloves were on. Gloves were heavy? on. Could, could you have a tongue glove that I could use? <laughs> I'm if you're listening at home, we've cut the department. story out because I can't really tell it, but I might have licked something somewhere we keep at some going point. back to it because I was appalled. you have a tongue glove, because there is a different sensory feeling, like babies put everything in their mouth and small children want to... It's That's right, so Deborah. Babies and small children. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a sensory thing, and I think as grown-ups, sometimes we want to do that. But, you know, what's what Steve Jobs said at, um, when he started Apple, and, you know, the, he started making computers more cosmetic. Before that, they'd been very boring and ugly and grey. And he said the policy was everything they make at Apple has to be lickable, which it is. If you look at all the Apple products, you could lick any one of them. Look at your watch. I could lick that now. Yeah, you can lick my watch, absolutely. You can lick my phone, that's fine. But the things that we're trying to keep for the next 500 years, if you're keep your tongue off them. If you're, if you're listening at home, I did not lick anything in this exhibition. <laughs> the, um, the things that I really liked, and I guess I, I wanted to ask you about, was the York Yorks, which were incredible. And um, I remember kind of recently I did a, just a very brief story about... Um, indigenous art in in Australia, and when women started painting, which was it was naturally, or for a long time until the 80s or the 70s or and 80s, uh, artwork was done by men, um, and they would hide the stories behind dots, and then women came mm. in, and it became the you know, so it yeah. kind of changed a lot. And then um, I remember also learning about this. Uh, there's a, a group of women in, I think it's in the desert, like in the sort of in that central kind of APY lands area, um, that create these beautiful like um, dolls. Do you know the ones I'm talking? They're not dolls, but like they kind of knitted. Like dumpy, Aboriginal. dumpy dolls. Yeah, it must be. It must be something like that. So why, why York Yorks? There's, there's a few things mm. that I kind of think of, and I go, that's an interesting kind of um, feminist element from Indigenous culture. And obviously, we've got so many different Indigenous cultures. But what about the York Yorks? Was the yeah. draw card? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, the York Yorks are amazing, and they're like um, mermaids, aren't they? They are. You know, sort of. You know, with your Western hat on, they they are mermaid-like for sure, mm. and. It's interesting because there's, you know, there's over 170 objects in that exhibition from the British Museum, but so many people have said the York Yorks, you know, from our collection, as we acquired those for this exhibition, are their favourite. And I can understand why. Um, we worked really closely with two art centres in Western Arnhem Land, um, Manningreta Arts and Culture and Buppera Women's Centre who um, made the textiles and the woven fibre art that you see and the York York is this ancestral spirit body of a woman tail like a fish found in freshwater streams and billabongs um, quite closely associated with fertility so he often hear stories women speaking about you know I, I got my baby from that billabong. My York mm -hmm. York gave me that baby from that mm -hmm. billabong. And they, the York York spirits... That would make me sort of tentative to swim. <laughs> like if I could oh, go... absolutely. In fact... I'm not going in Twins, a triplets... Whoa. Men. Stay out of billabongs. Well, That's unless my... you want a baby. Yeah, and... of course. If you want a baby, then obviously billabong away. But... It... No, I have to say, Nicole Kidman... Can we just say to Nicole Kidman here? She actually tells a story. It's quite a famous story about the fact that she... When she was making that movie, Australia, um, swam 
in a particular billabong in that area and claims that that's where she became pregnant from that wow. experience. Yeah. I love the York Crooks, though. They're so beautiful. They are. And it's interesting because um, the women have really embraced this ancestral spirit. And um, we worked with a number of artists who were here at the museum for the launch and have worked really closely with us. Um, Dorothy Bunabudi, Annabelle Murmurang, Deborah Wurikidge and Janet Marawa. And they... You know, those, those amazing fibre woven from pandamus grass. I take it, they take 12 months to make back-breaking work. Natural dyes go into them. And there's that beautiful one with the baby York mm-hmm. York in the middle um, by Annabelle just gliding across the wall. Um, the York York story traditionally manifests itself and it's represented um, by, usually by, by men in carvings and bark paintings. But this story has been passed on to the women who have really embraced it and there's this meteoric rise in indigenous fashion and textiles as we know in this country and um, the women of um, Bapara Art Centre in particular, the artists there are highly, highly skilled and it was just amazing working with them and, and, and including, and for us it was hugely important to include those works in the show the exhibition is divided into five themes and the very first show is, is creation and nature which kind of makes sense, you know, everything from Mother Earth this idea, these of, of women and feminine characteristics being associated with the land, the sea, the sky, the natural environment. Um, so we've, we certainly wanted to make sure that the oldest continuing culture on the planet was the first thing you saw when you walked in. I note you have another Australian exhibit that wasn't at the British Museum in the form of Kylie Minogue. Mm. We do. Tell me From more. Carly to Kylie. Yep. From Carly to Kylie. Mm, Tell indeed. us more. I know. I have had journalists say, what the, is she yeah. doing in the exhibition? Well, I tell you, look, so many selfie moments are going on with um, the Kylie Minogue costume. It's Aphrodite. a phenomenal costume. It is a, it's Dolce & Gabbana, so of course it is. Italian designers get on board when Aphrodite tour, world tour, Kylie's Le Folie tour in 2011. Um, she was really channeling the ancient world. You know, Western society is so influenced to this day by the antiquities and the Greek world is no exception and so um, but she's not there on her own she's there in this kind of fun and fabulous juxtaposition between the ancient and the contemporary because alongside her we have a statue, a marble statue, classical, typical classical statue from the British Museum's collection um, of Venus and she's, that Venus is a Roman copy of the original Greek, now unfortunately now lost statue of Aphrodite who was a sensation when she was first created by you know a very renowned Athenian sculptor called Praxiteles. He um, unveiled her and she was really the first life-size nude female and shockingly erotic like just shocking. At the time she was shockingly erotic. At at the time it was full-on yeah and because they'd had life-size... Men everywhere, everywhere. Men everywhere. Naked men, left, naked, right and centre. marble men everywhere. But mm. no naked women. Not of that, not of that, not on that scale. It was very unusual. Really? And so then what... She appeared in this temple and many men apparently went mad with lust, love. Foolish, foolish. Just um, remember that, temple. like... 
for a long time, big W bra catalogue. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they can... I had somebody... Uh, this, is, this is not a joke. I don't know if he stole this from somewhere, but I had somebody say to me recently, man, I got so bored during COVID, I looked at my light and the screw in the middle made it look like a titty, and I had a wank to that. Jeff. No, look, I did, this isn't, I said a man said that to me. Like, I can imagine, like, at first I went, really, a statue? But you can believe it, right? Like, they will, they see somebody in undies and they go, oh, I know what's under there, you know what I like mean? You're, it's right, you're hmm. right, because before pornography was, in my opinion, too accessible on the internet, yes. hot and cold running porn, now that's just too much. Mm-hmm. But that's a full another subject and some people <laughs> don't agree with me. But mm-hmm. before then, there were always ways. And as you say, mm-hmm. you know, it could be, like a department store catalogue, or it, men went men went into the mad with us to the temple. Did they? Oh, they they made they the perilous the sea journey to see her. And wow. the stories about men, you know, making love to the statue. No. Yes. What year? Fourth century BC. Men were in a temple making love to a statue. Apparently, allegedly. Plus a change. <laughs> I so bet the they rumor still goes. do, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, stuff like this still happens. It's just... I'm sure it does. I feel oh, a yeah. lot better about licking things. Oh, what... <laughs> what about body pillows? Yeah, yeah. What about um, My Little Pony? What? I... What? <laughs> oh, some hey, men are obsessed with My Little Bronies. Pony. Yeah. Have you never heard of Bronies? Yeah, yeah, bros who are into My Little Pony. I love that you knew Arnie June. She was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> What are your sons into? Yeah, My Little Pony, they're called bronies and they're attracted to the ponies. I mean, people are odd in general, aren't they? I think just human beings are so interesting and if you can think of it, it exists. Um, So you can see why I'm excited about an exhibition like this happening here. I mean, with all of this. Yes, it's it's fascinating and it's all part of the human condition. It's all Mm. part of the strangeness of humanity and our sexuality and our desire to idolise and revere and fear and all of those things. Um, Now, we were having a backstage fascinating chat about Mm. Medusa Mm -hmm. and you're really into Medusa, aren't you, Steph? I just think it's fascinating. Like... All of those stories, all of those kind of where women... Like, I love the idea that we can be on one side as women, and I guess this is revered, we're nurturers, we're life bringers, we're all of these things, and on the other side, it's this, like, you fuck with me and I'm going to fuck with you. And, like, that's what Medusa is to me, right? Like, that's, that's what she represents, and there's so much of that, like, I... I saw that, uh, like all of the the demons in there, mm. all of those scary kind of iconography of like of of women that are so overcome by their emotions that they are dangerous and that they will seek revenge beyond beyond the grave or in this spirit form. And and the um, the other one that I loved was that um, one with its little hands up. Tia Watateo. Yep, that one. Mm. Um, <laughs> Sorry, oh, sorry, I didn't memorise his name. I'll be honest. Um, but that was the that was the one where um, these women who died in childbirth. That's a fantastic story. Yeah, we considered warriors and and wow. and praised. I like, mean, that makes sense to me. If you absolutely. Die in childbirth, yeah. You are a warrior. Like, yeah. I absolutely. So the That's... name of that statue translates into divine woman, and they yeah. were, you know there is 
this reverence because they were put on for once the same level as a warrior on the battlefield, mm. which is incredible. Like that blows my mind. Mm. And I, I think like, what, now all you of those say things. that, why isn't that in every culture? It yes. makes so much sense because so many women did die in childbirth, yes. and presumably in the current framework, trans masculine people and um, mm. non binary people as well, gender non conforming people died in childbirth. Mm-hmm. And it seems like such an obvious thing now to say that's like a battle that you Mm. die in Mm. for a cause for humanity. Mm. And it's wonderful that that's... This is why I love these kind of exhibitions. It reframes how we think about things. We make so many assumptions based on just the way things were when we were growing up and that's normal and that's the framework. And it's only a framework. It's only an idea. It's only a language. And you go in there and you go, oh, other human beings have thought all sorts of things. Because you And you get to live in this world. I mean, you're a fascinating person. It's amazing talking with you because you get to live in this world where you essentially, your job is to uh, unbiased your way of thinking every day, which mm. I wish that was my job, and, and I'm going to well, make that my job. Your yeah. job too, yeah. in a way. Yeah, but I, the the Medusa thing, like, mm. what what is the backstory of Medusa? Oh, God, talk about Medusa! Like, seriously, there's a story. I mean, we're all pretty familiar. It's a pretty famous Greek myth. Hair of snakes, a gaze that can turn you to stone. But it is an image, you know, the image of Medusa that fascinates. The the reinterpretation and the reuse of 2,000 years of that particular Mm. image. I mean, the story of Medusa herself, you know, there's lots. I mean, like all of these mythologies, there's lots of interpretations. um, And, you know, they're never great. They're never happy for many of the women and female figures, I have to say. Um, But... The Roman poet Ovid tells us, you know, so one version of the myth tells us that she was once a beautiful maiden and she was, you know, raped, molested in the temple of Minerva. And Minerva turned her anger towards Medusa and cursed her as this evil demon for the rest of her life um, with snakes that's hair. And, and it wasn't until the, you know, all-conquering hero Perseus came along and chopped her head off with his reflective shield. and But, so we have objects in the, that speak to the power of Medusa and the representation of Medusa's image through time, whether it be from antiquity, where she was, you, her face was used as this kind of gargoyle-looking-like creature with, you know, bulging eyes and a lolling tongue and a bearded face, part of an architectural element on the roof of a house to ward off evil, or whether it was propaganda coins from the Second World War where her image again was used to ridicule your political foes. Mm. And then you jump forward in time to, you know, the 2016 American-US election where you have Donald Trump, you know, imposing an image of Hillary Clinton on Medusa's head while he poses as the god Perseus. Um, cutting off her head. And merch was made galore over that that moment. Yeah. What's happened to Donald Trump? I haven't heard anything about him lately. Who (laughs) cares? If you're listening at home, he has, of course, he is currently Mm. uh, in the middle of a criminal proceeding. Very exciting. I mean, if you actually haven't been listening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm only saying that if you're listening at home because I don't know where the news will be by then. Yeah. Um, Because this might not come out for a couple of weeks. So I I just want to say... He's uh, he's currently well. He wasn't put in handcuffs, but he was no. in court today. Um, 
And you were saying also now Medusa's a, a big uh, well, Medusa's sign on image. You know, she she has um, you know being used again as this kind of demonic representation of the female. All of these feminine or female figures that that I guess exhibit behavioural characteristics that are not the expected norm for how women should behave. But um, she has suddenly become. In more recent times, this symbol of 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 feminism and independence and power and resistance and I and I yeah I've been looking recently at TikTok videos of, of young women who are sexual assault survivors who are using tattoos who are posting videos of themselves with tattoos of Medusa, Medusa. Are saying I'm a survivor yeah it's a sign and of I, and now my gaze will turn into stone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's something incredible about that. But that really just shows the power of these stories. And they are how enduring, if, absolutely. If you, you can really keep them at arm's distance and go, oh, that's, that's uh, it's old, it's oh, inaccessible. I, I go so, I get so mad when people say it's that. Diffi- it's difficult, but there are so many accessible entry points to it. Do you know what, and, though? Uh, yeah. that was, uh, sorry, just, that was interesting hearing you kind of say that because the the impression that I've always had of Medusa is that she's this beautiful woman with with snakes for hair. Like, I, I never saw... Like, I knew she was evil, but I always sort of... My impression was that she's this stunning woman. You know, and that is that, another representation. Yeah. Um, we, and we have this amazing intaglio ring um, in the exhibition where you've, you, you do have that exact imagery of this kind of sorrowful down cast beautiful face and it's the moment of transformation you can see the snake starting to curl in her hair mm. and wings are kind of sprouting from her temples and it's that and her face is has a melancholy kind of look about it but it's this amazing yeah beautiful ring and and where it captures that that and, interpretation also and the lovely thing is there is there are different representations also of various figures so you can see how they've been interpreted and it depends who's telling the story mm. um one we i'm being told to wrap up um, but one amazing artefact in there is of Lilith, who mm. was, and some of you may know about this and some of you may not, but Lilith, according to some legends and uh, Jewish legends, was Adam's first wife before Eve, who was, did you know Adam had a first wife before Eve? Eve was a second wife, second wives club. Um, and did you know Lilith, according to the legend, um, was not submissive and refused to do the missionary position. She was like, no, he's not going on top. And because she didn't like the missionary position and was like, just generally had a bit of an attitude about her, he... Uh, she was got, banished. She was banished. She was banished. And, and then they got the more submissive Eve, but she was so submissive, she was then submissive to the snake as well, who now I rather suspect was just a bit of Medusa's hair. These it's are just another provocation. It's put another out provocation. Absolutely. But and again, I'm, now, now, like, I, I was reading that thing on Lilith and I found it really fascinating because I had a friend who'd been telling me about it a while ago and I was reading the thing and it was like, she was this awful, like, she was hated, just this symbol of the worst kind of woman. And I looked at it and I went, this is exactly the sort of thing that women are reappropriating mm. as powerful figures now. For sure. Which I think is fascinating. And I wish, I wish, wish, wish we had enough information to know 
who was creating those figures because it does make it feel different, right? It makes it feel different as far as where we are in history or how long the rebellion, that sort of guerrilla tactics or whatever. Mm-hmm. If, the, if these were... Um, if the beautiful images of Medusa, for example, were done by women and the ugly ones were done by men, like, it tells you something different, mm. do you know what I mean? Like, I guess those those elements of kind of history um, and, and if you go into an exhibition like this um, with those extra questions in your mind, you get to appreciate it slightly differently as well mm. because you go, we've only got so much information. The gaps in information are the parts that are really fascinating that really teach us about our own humanity now, how we've changed now and where, what stayed the same. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will, I will say, looking in there at those fierce women, mm. it really reminded me of, I'm a feminist, but today I was coming through the airport and I would never normally be on the side of authority, but there was an older man who was coming through and he was just not listening to and ignoring this young woman who was in charge of, you know, the security where you put your, your little suitcase or your whatever and your cosmetics and stuff in the little trays to go mm. through security. And he was really just ignoring her and being rude. Mm. And as he walked through the machines, she just said, not so he could hear, but so that I could hear and this other man behind the counter could hear, she just went, drop the fucking attitude or you won't be fucking flying anywhere. <laughs> was like just she was so young and I just went I'm on your side this time I really am on your side and there was something feared and it's there's a reason why that exhibition exists all of those artifacts have come out of a place of feminine power in a world where men have traditionally dominated and it's incredible to see if you can get to Canberra to see it uh, please come it's on till August it's on until August National Museum of Australia if you can't get to Canberra, it may be going other places in other countries, or you could go online and you could look at a lot of these artifacts online. So engage with it in some way or another because it really will inspire you and it will change your frameworks. I've got to do our closing titles um, because I'm being told, please wind it up. But is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say, Cheryl or Steph? I'm going to go home and read your book. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to finish it tonight. I love that. And I'm just... No, I'm thrilled you've dipped in and out, honestly. I really I, am. I really I think, am. I think what I want to say is just... Um, one of my favourite things is how uh, incredible young people are at the moment. Like, OK, yeah, I'm kind of young, but have you met proper young ones? Like, people <laughs> on TikTok and stuff, like... It's incredible. Women that are coming through now. Mm. I met a 20-year-old who said the wisest thing to me I've ever heard. Uh, and I think women in their, those, like, in their 20s, young women now, are the most empowered we've ever been. What and was the wisest thing? You didn't like, tell us what the wisest thing was. Well, I, I just wanted to say it is thanks to everyone, you know, like women before them. But here's the wisest thing. Um, I was talking to this 20-year-old about this guy. And she said... Babe, it's 2023. We're not falling in love with the potential of somebody anymore. We fall in love with who shows up at the door. Oh. Oh. Can I have a huge round of applause for three incredible women who worked so hard on this exhibition? That's Jessie, Heidi and Cheryl. this show as well as Cheryl can you thank other people because they worked really hard you all worked hard on the show who anyone else we need to name check for the exhibition Vicky Northy here in the front row Vicky huge thanks Caroline
Brian Edwards, my co-curator, absolutely. And there's many, but they're, they're two that stand out. And everybody who worked on this event tonight and has stayed late because we've obviously run over, uh, you've been absolutely incredible. Uh, we have lots of episodes of The Guilty Feminist. Go to guiltyfeminist.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I also have a book. Watch Class of 07. Watch, watch Class of 07. We're starring Steph Tisdall. Anything else we need to watch that you're in? No. Any other exhibitions coming up? Any other exhibitions yeah, coming you up like you need to tell us about? Oh, there's lots, but... Just follow the National Museum of Australia and find out what else they're doing because they're doing some really interesting stuff. And, and I would say jump on our website in relation to programs that are associated with Feed and Revered. We've got lots of different things coming up, um, lecture series and high teas and cultural festivals and... Loads of stuff, of stuff going on. Come down again. You know where it is. You've already found it if you're in the room. Um, and if you could go on iTunes and review the podcast, you could review this episode, you can review any episode, say that you had a nice time coming out. It really helps people find the podcast as long as you give it five stars. You could also tell someone about it with your mouth and your face if you wanted to. Um, it's been absolutely wonderful to be here. We have had a most wonderful evening. You have been one of the finest audiences of your generation. I've been Deborah Francis and we have been the Guilty Feminist. This is Steph Tisdale. This is Thank Cheryl you. Crilly. Thank you. We love Thank you all. You, you have been listening to the Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Steph Tisdale, and our very special guest Cheryl Crilly, the recording engineer was Gwenelle Uriarty. Music was by Mark Hodge, producer was Tom Selinski for the Spotted Age Show. Thanks to Heidi Pritchard and everyone at the National Museum of Australia, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com! realized it was me I was so enjoying that I forgot I was in the show I was like I was genuinely sitting there going yay what happens now oh I do um, okay that's the first half we now have a short interval how, how long is the interval the guilty feminist is provided exclusively from Acast find it wherever you get your podcasts even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.